Oh man, what a great time to be together and to enjoy worshiping. And as Sarah said, responding to God's presence regardless uh, of our circumstances. And uh, so, so y'all ready for this? I'm starting with a joke tonight. You ready? That was not the joke. All right. So, so here, here's the deal. So this is a good joke. All right. If I do say so myself. So a man walks into a restaurant, server comes up to his table and the server says, you know, what would you like to eat? And the man says, I'd like steak, please. And the man says, okay, well, how do you like your steak? And he said, I like it like winning an argument with my wife. He said, rare it is. That's quality. I mean, that is, that's a quality joke and I can't even take credit for it. Clint is the one that told it to me. And so there it is. So I, I got it from him. And so if it's bad, it's on him, not me. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, you guys, we're, we're in this. We got to laugh a bit right now because we're in the season of Lent. And this is lamenting. And this is grieving. And this is grieving with God. And like this, in these last couple of weeks, we've had a number of people that are hospitalized. And uh, we got a whole lot of other people who've been going through some really challenging. It's a high need time of life right now for a number of people. And I know that you know what I'm talking about. We live this life together and we live it in relationship. And so we know, we know what's going on. And so it's in a season like this that we can't take ourselves too seriously, right? And we gotta laugh a little bit and enjoy uh, the joy of the Lord for sure. You know, we have been exploring the book of Lamentations, uh, which is a thrill, I know. Uh, but it talks through grief and sorrow, especially through the lens of the nation of Judah. The nation of Judah had just been overthrown and it's, they were crying out to God in a way that was just raw and hard. And so what we learn is in the language of the book, there's lots of pain and suffering. And in that pain and suffering, we can see a reflection of our own. We can look into our lives and we can connect with the Lord in a really special way by reading this story. We see the people of Judah struggling with God. And that gives us permission to struggle with God. We see that God didn't leave them in their struggle. We know that God doesn't leave us in our struggle. We can, can connect with the Lord in our pain and our suffering. And what we also can see is that the grief process, the grief process can actually help us to understand, deal with, and work through the pain and suffering that we know are guaranteed to happen on this earth. We know we're in the season of Lent. This is that season where we start lamenting the reason for why pain and suffering exists on this earth. The whole reason pain and suffering exists on this earth is not because you're bad people, not because I'm ba a bad person. It exists because all the way back in the very beginning, there was the creation. And in that moment in creation, Adam and Eve made a choice. And in that choice, they chose to go their own way rather than to go the way of God. And it's in that moment, they ate of this fruit. And as they ate of this particular fruit that they were told not to eat from because it was going to give them the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they thought that they wanted to know good and evil just like God knows good and evil. And in that moment, God said, okay, you're gonna go your own way. It's on you. And in that moment, this pristine, remarkable space that we know as our world changed forever. And all of humanity that would follow were going to live with pain. And we're going to live with suffering. We're going to live with 
making decisions that were not honoring of the Lord. And in those decisions, it brings on more pain and more suffering. Some that we have authority and control over in our lives, some that other people made decisions and that pain and suffering then is forced upon us. And it's hard and it's dark and it's difficult And it's through books like Lamentations. It's through this season of Lent where we grieve the sin on this earth. And as we we grieve that, something special happens. Something remarkable happens. Last week, we, uh, we got into this conversation about being honest. To be honest about how things hurt. This is one where it's like sometimes we just got to kind of, we got to cry out to God. And sometimes even in our honesty, we're misplacing judgment. Oftentimes we'd like to blame God for things God didn't do. But in so doing, it's okay for us to be honest with the Lord. He can handle it. And as we're being honest about our reality and the suffering and pain and the difficulties of life, it's important for us to ask a question. And that is Jesus When have you experienced this kind of pain? Because sometimes we think that God didn't know anything about our particular pain because we don't see our specific instance in the Bible. And so we wonder if God can actually relate. And so we just ask the question, Jesus, when have you experienced this kind of pain? And then we let the Lord respond and we listen. And through images that are in our head, through conversations with other people, through the reading of God's word, there's an illumination of the truth. And the truth is, is that Jesus suffers with you. Jesus is in the pain with you. He is with you in those moments. He's with you in the struggle. And so it requires an honesty. I mean, the experts say admittance is the first step, right? So we have to be honest about how things hurt. And that gives an opportunity for God to to comfort in a really special way. Tonight, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a person who likes things to kind of be in their, their right place, okay? Whenever I was, um, had an office that I was at every single day of the week, this was like my domain, right? And so everything in that office had its place and it needed to be turned in a specific way. And, I, and you know what I know what my wife used to do? My sweet, precious, amazing wife would come in and just turn one thing, give me a kiss, tell me bye. She'd do it to where hopefully I didn't see it, right? And then she'd just kind of wait to see if I hurried and put it back where it was supposed to be. I like, I like order. And so tonight, this one really resonates with me. And, uh, and so in that resonation, uh, we can see God is a God of order. Uh, and, and there's a lot of chaos in our world and a lot of things that feel out of order and out of place and, and, and feel very haphazard and feel like there's no control over anything. And so tonight we get reminded about a really important thing that, that God is a God of order and we serve a God of order. And so in the chaos, what we learned tonight is that small bits of structure can help us when the big structures of life are falling apart. So there's these little things. And so, so tonight, our key truth Seek out ways to order your steps, no matter how small they are. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means, but, but even in the small steps of, of, of faithful, just 
taking one step forward in obedience with the Lord and drawing near and reading scripture and, and confessing to the Lord and all these things and asking Jesus where he is and our pain and our suffering and everything, even these little small steps, they can bring a lot of relief. They can bring a lot of comfort in times of our life that, that feel very uncomfortable and feel like there just is no relief at all. So seek out ways to order your steps, no matter how small they are. Tonight, we're in Lamentations chapter two, second uh, chapter uh, in the book of Lamentations. While you guys are turning there, get there in your Bible um, or on your phone, iPad, whatever. Uh, and then of course, you know, you can follow along on the screen uh, as well. Uh, there is an immense amount of violence in Lamentations chapter two, especially in the first nine verses specifically, but really in the first 10 verses. It's a remarkable amount of violence. I mean, the violence, it's a lot like the things we see in movies, uh, things that we sometimes get drawn to. In our chaos, we watch something else that's chaotic and it, in a, some kind of interesting way, it provides some comfort uh, for us. And this is, this is what was happening in the first 10 verses where the, uh, the people of Judah are crying out about all of the things that have happened to them uh, in their destruction. And, uh, and so, so let's start in verse one. Uh, the prophet says, how the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He's hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He's not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He, is, he has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He's burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. Like an enemy, he has strung his bow. His right hand is ready like a foe. He has slain all who were pleasing to the eye. He has poured out his wrath-like fire on the tent of daughter Zion. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces and destroyed her strongholds. He has multiplied mourning and lamentation for daughter Judah. He has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. He has destroyed his place of meeting. The Lord has made Zion forget her appointed festivals and her Sabbaths. In his fierce anger, he has spurned both king and priest. The Lord has rejected his altar, has abandoned his sanctuary. He has given the walls of her palaces into the hands of the enemy. They have raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of an appointed festival. The Lord determined to tear down the wall around daughter Zion. He stretched out a measuring line and did not withhold his hand from destroying. He made ramparts and walls lament. Together they wasted away. Her gates have sunk to the ground. Their bars he has broken and destroyed. Her king and her princes are exiled among the nations and the law is no more. And her prophets no longer find visions from the Lord. The elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They've sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. Y'all, this is pretty tough. And I know you're seeing where they're placing blame. We talked about it a little last week that there's a lot of times that we cry out and we blame God for things that God may or may not have been the one doing. They're crying out. They were in chaos, in utter chaos. Every security they had felt, every security that they trusted was in question, including their God. 
and they were clamoring to survive. They were doing everything they could to just survive. Now, this is them crying out. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that the book of Lamentations is written as an acrostic. Much of the book is written as an acrostic. Now, those of you that uh, may not know what an acrostic is, um, I, I had to look it up just to make sure I got it right because my mom's probably watching this and she's an English professor and I got to make sure I get this right, okay? All right, so an acrostic is, is essentially where the first line of a poem would be one letter. The next line of the next of the poem would be another letter. And usually these first letters spell out a word of some sort. That's what an acrostic is. Well, the book of Lamentations, specifically the second chapter of Lamentations, the entire chapter is an acrostic. But it's not an acrostic that spells out a word. It's an acrostic that just goes through the Hebrew alphabet. So like verse one begins Aleph. Aleph is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. We would know that as A, right? You'll hear the, 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 the similarity. Uh, and so, so if you kind of look at this image here uh, that you have, you got the verse one, you got Aleph, okay? And Hebrew is a little bit weird. You read right to left. It's very confusing to the brain. Uh, but you, you kind of group these words together in a sentence going right to left. And so verse one on the far right, that little cool looking shape is an Aleph. The next one underneath it is a bait. All right, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Zion, Chet, Tet, Yod, that's the Hebrew alphabet, okay? And so you've got these here. And so the verse two is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Verse three is the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. What you're seeing here is the people of Judah have no idea. They are in utter chaos. And this prophet in his description of the utter chaos they are in is, is showing the organization that they have no idea that this God of order is ordering even in their misplaced cries against God for how evil God is to them. This is a remarkable, amazing encouragement for people like you and me because we have the beauty of being able to look back and we can look back. We live on this side of the cross. We can look back and we can see this story and we can go, man, they were in utter chaos. But look at the order that was happening simultaneously that they did not even have a clue about. This is our God. This is who God is. When all seems out of order, there is still security. There is still a way to go. God will still light the path even in our accusations against God, even in the things that we wish were not our realities, that we may place blame in misplaced areas. But this is a beautiful picture of who God is. Because even in Judah's lament, God is at work. God is at work in ways they can't see, in ways they know nothing about. So what we can understand from this in chapter two, that we just read the first 10 verses, right? Just the first 10 letters of the Hebrew alphabet were covered. What we understand is that the God of order stands in the background and orders the images of chaos. There is comfort in that statement. Sometimes we don't like all of what that statement says, but there is comfort in this. And what we understand in this is that structure can help. Structure can help greatly in the process of dealing with our trauma. 
There's a lot of trauma that takes place. You know, this weekend, Fostering Hope has their Future and a Hope conference and a shameless plug. This conference is not just for foster and adopt families. I would encourage you, if you just wanna know how to care for people better, go to the Foster, go to a Future and a Hope this weekend. Because this talks about trauma and trust-based relational intervention and the ways that we can care for one another relationally in the middle of trauma and our trauma responses. And it's a beautiful reality because it, it really kind of fleshes out even more of what we're talking about tonight because traumatic experiences can be unbelievably overwhelming, can't they? When you have these traumatic experiences, they can, they can be so overwhelming that it is impossible for an individual to be able to integrate them into a personal story that is even fathomable, that can even be understood or comprehended in some way much less tell somebody about it, right? And so we have these trauma responses. And so if we're trying to explain the hurt, explain the pain, if we're trying to learn from or even just integrate it into our lives, it can a lot of times feel like an exercise in futility. You know, some might say it's kind of like a car falling out of the sky and you trying to turn it to go in a certain direction, right? It's, it's useless, and this is the idea of what trauma does inside of our brains, things that happen subconsciously that we can't control. We have no idea what to do with. This is the people of Judah. They had had intense, severe, traumatic experiences in their life, and they could not grasp and make sense of any of it. All the while they couldn't, the God of order is there marking out their steps, lighting the path, in order to go. This acrostic that is the, the book of, or, or the second chapter of Lamentation, it captures a poetic testimony. The poetic testimony that takes what seems as very random, and it also seems like the, the things that they're crying out to God are just repetitive, like we do when we're in pain. They seem like they're just repetitive requests and accusations and frustrations and we start saying things that we're going to regret someday and all these things that happen. It seemed like it was totally random. But the reality is, is that it actually wasn't. They're trying to explain it, but it was impossible for them to explain. Now this acrostic, what we, what we learn in this is that it actually speaks to something that in our day is communicated as trauma memory. Trauma memory is when memories repeat and will not fade. These are like flashbacks, okay? Where a traumatic experience, there's like a photograph in our mind. And at seemingly random times, those photographs will just show up in our head. They're not in a healing fashion. They're just in a show up in our head. And then it just brings all of the trauma back up. And then it leaves and we got to deal with that. This is the flashback. This is what is commonly known as like a PTSD situation. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Where a traumatic response, it brings up the flashbacks of whatever that was in a non-productive manner. And our bodies struggle. If you've ever experienced anything like this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so what happens is memories occur with no healing effect. And when memories occur with no healing effect... It's trouble. Now, the good news is we actually can rewire our brains. Did you know that? 
the electrical signals that are in our mind, we actually can rewire the trauma response. Now, in today's day, which Judah didn't have, we have these really cool things, these, these therapies that are like EMDR. Okay, an EMDR therapy is one that helps bring these memories back up, the pictures back up in a way that there can be some productive healing that takes place. Judah didn't have that. Judah didn't have this ability to, 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 to bring up this hemisphere of the brain and this hemisphere of the brain and begin to connect the dots to where there can be some productive memory rather than non-productive memory around the trauma. But yet... Their EMDR was Lamentations 2 and the Hebrew alphabet. It was subconscious. They had no idea it was happening, but in some form or fashion, it could make sense in the chaos. It could draw, the, connect the dots in the trauma. Them repeating these events through the alphabet, it creates productivity. It's a small thing. It's a small step that has large output. And so what we can learn from this, we have EMDR. EMDR is not the solve for everything by any means. What we can learn though is that when our feelings around grief, when the feelings around pain and suffering feel really out of control, what we can learn is that through some structure, through some structure, no matter how small the structure is, it can help. And it can help in big ways. Now, what is important to understand is that the structure is not going to prevent the pain. We have to understand that. Scripture is very clear about pain and suffering. The structure is not going to prevent the pain, the feelings of being hurt and being hurt deeply. And so that's why what we talked about last week continues to be really important that we continue an honest dialogue with the Lord about the pain, about the trauma, about what's going on. And in the best way we know to communicate, trusting God's will to be good, pleasing, and perfect, we make our requests known to him. So as we are continuing to be honest with how bad things hurt, let's continue to read what the people of Judah did. Verse 11, my eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city. As their lives ebb away in their mother's arms, what can I say for you? What can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? You know, we hear these words here and maybe you're there tonight or maybe you know somebody who's there or maybe you will be there at some point or maybe you have been in the past. Sometimes trauma can take us to the point where a person believes like Judah that God is the cause of their pain and that God will do nothing other than cause pain moving forward. Verse 17, the Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He's overthrown you without pity. He's let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. Do you hear it? 
Verse 20, look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? It can feel really hopeless. It can get really, really dark. Here's the thing that we can take. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how deep the valley is, it is important to remember that with the very same words that God promises destruction and trouble, that it's a guarantee that the difficulties, the things that we're mourning in this season of Lent, the difficulties and the challenges of this fallen world, with those same words, he promises peace. And so there's this struggle and there's this honesty and there's this gut level relationship with the Lord. And in the same moment, God says, I can handle that. God also promises peace. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 9, beginning of verse 9. The Lord is a, ref, is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. Well, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. This is who God is. And fortunately, we live on this side of the cross, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and we get to look back on Judah, and we get to look back on the Old Testament. We get to look back on Jesus, and we get to, we get to see, and we can, we can look through history and be reminded like John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And here it is, in this world, you not may, not probably will, not who knows, you will have trouble. Pain and suffering are coming. Difficulty is happening. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There is nothing you will ever experience that Jesus hasn't already overcome. There is nothing that can happen to you that can, it's hopeless, there is always hope. There is always a light that shows the way out of the darkness. Always. I've overcome the world. Jesus destroyed. He crushed Satan. He crushed sin and shame. And we have hope as a result of that. Now here's what's Man, wouldn't it be nice if like Judah, after all the trial and difficulty, they went back and they were able to rebuild the city and it was even more glorious than it was before? Wouldn't that be an amazing movie story? We like those kind of movies. That's not what happened. Because physically speaking, Judah never really recovered from Babylon's conquest. They never really recovered physically. Even when the people returned to the land and they rebuilt the temple, they, there was no way they could capture the splendor of the kingdom and the magnificence of the temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. It's important for us to not have an unrealistic expectation of the other side of trauma, the other side of pain and suffering. Things will never be the same again. We know that. But joy may be made complete. Life can be full and there's hope for eternity. So here's where it kind of comes down and the rubber meets the road for us tonight, okay? We can see the lamentation. We see the lament. We see the grief. We see them grieving with God. We see, they see God giving comfort. They see all of this, right? 
Here's the question. How often do you experience flashbacks of your pain and seasons of suffering? How often does it happen? When those images, the unproductive images, where it's not like there's healing happening, it's just all of a sudden it hits and then you're left to deal with the memory. How often does that happen? The follow-up question to this question is, have you taken time to grieve your loss with God? This is the kicker. We like to sweep things under the rug and move on, don't we? And pretend like it's okay. But it just rears its ugly head again, doesn't it? Have you ever grieved that loss? Have you ever grieved your loss with God? I just shared earlier that we, uh, in the last several months, we've had a number of people in the hospital due to illness, some that are chronic, some that, is, that, are, that, are, that are situational and periodic. There's a lot of loss in sickness, isn't there? There's a whole lot of loss in sickness. There's a lot of loss in that season. There's a lot of loss for the caregivers of the person that are sick. There's a lot of loss for the person who is sick. There's a lot of loss for the network of the people who are sick. And that loss needs to be grieved. The quality of life that is lost. Freedom. Tons of freedoms are taken away. Relationships where people are able to get together and you're not able to be there. He grieved that loss. And then there's, there's, there's events that happen that you're just not able to be a part of or you just can't. Family happenings. There's a lot of loss that happens in sickness. This is just one thing. There's all kinds of stuff. Abandonment, whole nother thing. Man, there's a ton of loss in that. There's so many situations in life. What's important is to grieve that time. And ask, where were you, God, in all of that? Where were you? It's important to ask him. And let God show you. Let God show you where he is. The God of comfort longs to give comfort to you in all of your trouble. Let's rewire the brain to where those trauma responses... There's a potential for healing because the God of order is always there. The God of order is always faithful. The God of order is the one who will be with you till the end of the age. And you can trust God to order your steps forward. Where was God in all of that? Listen to these words that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. In chapter one, verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, not some of them, in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Just ask the question, where were you, God? Fill in whatever the blank is of the event, of the, the childhood that you experienced, of whatever the trauma, the job loss, so many different things that make huge impact on our minds and our bodies. Where were you, God? And this question 
can seem really small. It can seem like an exercise in futility if you're not careful. If you don't let God actually grieve with you in your loss. But the cool thing about this question is you can overlay this question over any and every circumstance you've ever experienced in your life. Where were you, God? And then you pause and you listen. And you let the Lord show you, whether it be through a mental picture in your mind or some other form of communication. Words, if you're a words person, maybe the words are begin to shape in your brain. And you let God begin to show you where God was. The key is, you just got to give God a chance. You got to give God a chance. Because if you will give him a chance to grieve with you, God will comfort and God will bring order to your chaos. And you do this enough, guess what happens to your brain? The rewiring begins to happen. And those pictures that begin to randomly show up go from counterproductive to all of a sudden you find yourself telling the story and it shines a lot of hope for somebody else. Much less gives comfort to you. And you want to know what's crazy about that? When you start saying it out loud and communicating to other people how God has comforted you in your season of grief, pain, and suffering, it only brings more freedom. Because you see that this aren't, these, aren't, these aren't just little steps that are semantics. This is real life. This is real stuff. A literal rewiring of your brain in healing. Y'all, we got to own it. We got to own that grief, sorrow, pain, suffering, it can feel like chaos and it can feel like things are just completely out of control. That's why a little structure, no matter how small it may seem, it can help. It can help in the process. We see it through the people of Judah. We can see it through modern science today. The studies, they show basic rituals, even the ones that may feel silly, they may even feel silly. They can have an impact on our perception and they also can have an impact on the duration of our grief. That's right. It can actually trim down some time. Here's some rituals that, that, that can work, some small steps, okay? Flat out just gut level honesty with God. It's a great step. It's a great step. Gut level honesty when you admit the cause of your grief. What's the cause? Give it a cause. Tell God the cause. And let God be with you in that. Let him grieve you or let him grieve with you in that. Ask Jesus where he experienced your pain. Jesus, where did you experience this kind of pain? You're the reason, but where did you experience this kind of pain? Or that person's the reason. Where did you experience this kind of pain? How'd you get on the other side of that? Jesus is a friend of sinners, right? He's our friend. What do friends do? We talk about these things together. Admit that the struggle is real. Okay? Ask Jesus where he's experienced the pain. And then, yeah, one that might seem like a really small, simple step just read the life stories throughout Scripture of people who've experienced pain and suffering. Just read the stories. And then maybe one that might seem small to you, might seem an exercise in futility. It is true that therapy, counseling are great ways 
to come along, for the Lord to come alongside you and to grieve with you. And of course, prayer. Communicating with the Lord about it and then listening to God. He's your friend. Y'all, the God of comfort is ready for us. He's ready. Here we are in this season. He's ready for us. Let's take an account. Let's see what's going on. We know Easter's coming. And so as we grieve in the here and now, we know Easter's coming. Jesus has overcome all of this. So let's just, let's lament. Let's grieve. Let's let the Lord deal with the real feelings today so that when we get to Easter, so that whenever we get on the other side of the cross, there's freedom. And we don't keep pulling that stuff up and that stuff define us. No, Jesus is who defines us. The hope of the future is who defines us. And so y'all, we gotta admit it, right? Admit the struggle is real. Petition God through Jesus to be reminded that we are not alone. Where were you, God? Jesus, when have you experienced something like this? And then may this order order our steps, no matter how small they seem to be, in order to begin to move through the pain and bring some order to chaos. Father, we love you and we are so thankful for stories like this where we can look at the people of, of Judah and we can see, man, that's real life. Where they took matters into their own hands, some negative things happened, they blamed God for the negative things that happened um, and, the, and the destruction in their lives. And then, and then, Lord, you came through and you cared for them. But even after the restoration happened, it was never the same. Things were different. There was still pain, there was still hardness, there was still difficulty, but Lord, your story, the story, the good news, the gospel is the story that prevails. Lord, you are working out everything for the good of those who love you. Lord, may we trust you. May we trust you with our grief. May we trust you with our loss. May we trust you with our brains, the rewiring of the mechanisms that, that brings these pictures back up into our mind. And Lord, would you turn them from counterproductive to productive? Would you turn them into a, a moment of comfort? And then all of a sudden, Lord, would you use those to heal others? Lord, would you use our story to shine the light of hope for others, not because we're manufacturing a story, but because there's been true healing. There's been true acknowledgement of pain, suffering, and grief. And Lord, you have brought through the fire, Lord, burned away the things that don't make a hill of beans difference, and you've left what matters most. And that's what other people get. Lord, thy will be done. Would you help us as we grieve, Lord? Would you be near? And would you, the God of comfort, would you comfort everything? Lord, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.